As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Hey folks, a very quick disclaimer before we get started with today's episode. Uh, This is obviously publishing Friday, February 17th, but it was recorded Thursday morning before the U.S. Women's National Team played their opening game of the She Believes Cup against Canada. Uh, The content of this episode is, is roughly... The first half about the Canada pay dispute, about the women's team potentially protesting and trying to sit out and not being allowed to sit out and potential strikes down the road because of a lack of payment and a lack of transparency with the Federation. Uh, Then we get into the U.S. Women's National Team, uh, what their pay situation is looking like. It's better. Uh, But then also Steph's thoughts on the team itself, on Vlatko as the manager, on her ideal starting 11 for this tournament. Much, much more there. But we do not discuss the result because that game has had not yet happened. So just wanted to make that clear up front. And now let's hear some music. Welcome to the Total Soccer Show. My name is Taylor Rockwell. Here with me today to talk about the U.S. Women's National Team a bit, but the Canadian Women's National Team a lot is Steph Young. Steph, thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me on. Uh, It is always lovely to have you on the show, uh, especially when we have sort of happy uh, things to talk about when it comes to the U.S. Women's National Team. Uh, We're going to talk a little bit about the, uh, the, the pay equity, which is lovely. We're going to talk about the start of the She Believes Cup. But first, I wanted to ask you a bit more about Canada. You've been writing about them for The Athletic. Uh, it is strange time for the Canadian women's national team. They sat out training last weekend. They resumed it under protest. Can you give us a bit of background about what happened there? Yeah, so the team has been in negotiations with Canada Soccer for a while now. And you might recall that the men's team also tried to did go on, on strike last year. Um, and things kind of all just came to a head where the players revealed that Canada Soccer hasn't paid them, um, the women's team at least, for uh, work they did in 2022, um, which includes 17 games and qualifying for the Women's World Cup yeah. this year. So things seem to have really broken down, and now they're, they attempted to go on strike here in Orlando uh, before she believes but we're informed that due to, I think, Canadian, you know, labor law that um, Canada soccer 
and Canada Soccer, you know, threatening to sue them for the work stoppage that they simply couldn't afford to do so, like literally could not afford financially to take that step at this time. So they're, they're playing the game under protest. Um, they had a call with the media a couple days ago, the player reps from the team, that's Christine Sinclair, Quinn, Sophie Schmidt, and um, Janine Becky, where they talked a little bit more, but they didn't give a ton of details because they're in ongoing negotiations. So there's some things that they can't legally address, but that's kind of where we are in, or in a sort of a, a limbo while they try to work things out. And what uh, I would like us to try to do here is to make a little more sense of this, because everything I read about this kept giving me new information, but then also making me more confused. Because, uh, for example, uh, like Canada Soccer saying, you know, we're working towards an equitable agreement where everybody's happy. And then within that same paragraph, I think I read that that stat about uh, the women's team not being paid for those 17 games. And it felt like that's not quite uh, like the equal pay that maybe uh, the women's national team was looking for. Steph, like, to your mind, what are the sort of the key issues here? It seems like a, a repeating thing is transparency or lack thereof when it comes to the Federation's accounting. That's exactly the word that I was about to use with you, which is transparency. Hey. Sophie Schmidt um, started uh, the media call a couple of days ago with a prepared statement where she literally asked, where is the money? And it's not just money for them. Um, they made a lot of good points about how it's money for the entire program, especially the youth players. I mean, Janine Becky, bless her, straight out just came out and said it and said, you know, maybe there's older players on the team who are sticking around because there's not enough young players coming in at the right level of talent or experience to really replace them, which is kind of like grim, right? It takes this picture of like, the American society where older people are like putting off retirement more and more because they can't afford for the family for them to stop working. And I was like, Oh God, that's dark. Um, but yeah, so they're, they're really saying like, where is the money? Like tell us what the structure is of the deal that you've made. For example, with that Canadian soccer business, like their business arm, it's kind of like the sort of like some and MLS, that mm -hmm. sort of relationship. Um, there was a great question in that call, I believe, from John Molinaro, who's a Canadian journalist, about asking them, you know, when that CSB deal with CSA was announced around March 2018, when did you guys find out about that deal? How was it communicated to you? And they couldn't really go into the particulars again because they're, they're in ongoing talks. But they straight up said, you know, Jenny and Becky said, as a team, they weren't formally told about that deal. That's crazy, right? These people are making deals for money that affects you as the employer and you're not being told as an employee what management is doing to like make money to keep paying you. So I think they're really frustrated that there's an overall lack of communication and transparency and trust almost with like, Hey, we're your employees and we deserve to know and we deserve to be paid and we deserve to know how you're making money. Uh, so I'm going to say something uh, dumb here. It will be the first of what will probably be several dumb statements for me. Like, it is weird to me. You mentioned the American system there. I think of like when I think of the exploitation of workers and maybe not being compensated fairly, that feels like a uniquely American thing. Like, is it <laughs> odd to you that Canada is having these issues? Like, like, like to your point, they can't go on strike because it's not legally permitted. But at the same time, they can't discuss the details of the contract because that's also a violation. It feels like there are a lot of potential ensnarements to discussing the financial situation with the national team. 
Yeah, I I get the feeling that they're probably being a little safer than is necessary, which, again, makes a lot of sense considering these are not millionaires we're talking about. So the U.S. women's national team has very publicly negotiated some, you know, relatively lucrative deals, even though they're still not making oodles and oodles of money. Like it's it's sufficient now, you would imagine like a top player making 150, 200, $250,000. And then obviously the revenue sharing with the men's and women's with things like prize money. So like things are in a much better place than they were. Canadian national teams, not in that place yet. Um, it's also just a smaller country, maybe with like less of a, an economy. And you add into that Canada soccer, maybe not making the sharpest business deal. Yeah. And then these players, Christine Sinclair maybe is one of the few Canadian players who maybe could afford to ride out like a, a work stoppage, but we don't know that. And so they're not making the same money that the Americans are. Um, yeah. They're being paid by their clubs, you would hope. But that's not enough for them to feel comfortable riding out a strike, having to hire legal representation. So if they're not saying things, I can understand why they'd be a little cagier than necessary. So I think it's a combination of that, yes, and the Canadian labor laws that are that are going on here. That makes sense, and I think like a KG approach is probably smart. It's just also probably very frustrating for them because the details do seem to be very confusing. As I said, uh, from what I understand, the federation sold the rights uh, to like basically the national team for twenty years. It's a ten-year deal plus the option for ten uh, for people who. I could use a little bit of background to Canada soccer business, the terribly named Canada soccer business. I think that includes <laughs> jersey sales, corporate sponsorships, FIFA prize money. I think I'm just quoting your article now. TV rights, et cetera, for the men's and women's teams. Uh, and for that, I think it's a guarantee of between three and four million, three and a half million, I think, each year. Uh, the idea being that if there isn't a ton of money coming in, then at least there's a guarantee of some money in that three to four million. But with the men's team qualifying for the for their first World Cup in many, many years. The women's team winning the Olympics, uh, hosting in 2026. The Women's World Cup coming up. It feels like there should be lots of money coming in, and yet there is not when it comes to these programs. I think the thing I saw yesterday was that they're expecting the 2023 budget for both the men and the women to be slashed in half, which I'm assuming leads to the initial question, where is the money? Yes, and... When you hear that, like, they wanted a flat rate coming in no matter what happened, I kind of understand that, like, being afraid of the future. But on the other hand, like, what an insult to your players and the teams and the efforts and stuff. And just what a a stunning, like, lack of confidence. Or, like, it's just a vote of no confidence in your teams to go out and succeed, saying, you know, we're probably headed for some lean years. We don't know. I mean, okay. Sure. Who could have predicted a global pandemic would make True. the economy go wonky? <laughs> True. Um, so maybe like there was a year in there where they were feeling smug about it. But yeah, instead of like making a deal, for example, for like a percentage or something so that, you know, in general, it might increase over time um, instead of now getting the same amount of money in 2030 or whatever as they would in, in 2020 when you have the Olympic gold medal winners. And then your, your men like, I guess we could say overperformed. Right. Yeah. Did pretty well. And so, yeah, when you look at that, God, and you're wondering where's the money. So I'm watching uh, open practice yesterday. Uh, the U.S. Women's National Team comes out. They have their army of staff all over the field. They probably could have fielded, you know, another team on their own with just staff. And that team could have had their own staff out of the remaining staff. And then the Canadian 
women's national team comes out and it's just a fraction. It's a mere fraction of what like a properly funded and staffed team has. And that's what they're making do with and being expected to like repeat stuff like that Olympic gold. Like, gosh, you, you look at that and you think they really stretched everything. They made so much out of so little. Can you imagine what they would do with like a proper, the proper support of their federation, not just the money, but like the belief from the federation, like, oh yeah, you're the gold medal winners. What can we do to promote you? I sometimes, I think, sorry, this is going back no, to Iran, but I think about Christine Sinclair breaking the international all-time goal scoring record in front of an audience of like 300 people in the middle of nowhere, Texas. That is like, can you imagine not having the foresight yeah. to like figure out a way to have that at home, for example, in a packed Vancouver stadium? And they just didn't do it. Is there a chance that they learned the wrong lesson from that? That like, hey, if we don't fund them that well, they win the gold medal. We've seen that happen before with teams that are like, oh, you guys can do things on a shoestring budget. Well, then we're going to keep that shoestring budget. God, can you imagine? It's like a parent (laughs) saying to a child, like, (laughs) just get a part time job. It's what I did when I was your age. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah, That's all they need to do. There you go. Uh, Get get both national teams out there. We'll get them some part time jobs. That's clearly the solution here. It, it does seem confusing to me, and also at the same time, like, I guess you mentioned the fleet of staff for, for the U.S. national team. It did make me wonder, do you feel like there's ever a chance that this happens on the U.S. side of things, or do you think thing, there is just more money coming in, there are maybe better deals there? I, I, I just had a cautionary moment of, like, is this how it could go? Could there be moments when the players aren't being paid and we do have these very, like, lean situations where neither the men's team nor the women's team is particularly happy? I don't know. I mean, knock on wood, you hope there's never another an event that makes the economy go True. squiggly in ways that you simply cannot have predicted. And if that happens, I would like to think that everybody would have a little bit of grace for each other on both sides of the yeah. equation um, with people like in good faith working to fi- find a way to get their employees paid. You would hope, right? Or like just keeping people on health care, that sort of thing. Like, God willing, that will never happen again. We don't know. I don't see it happening. It just feels like U.S. soccer is kind of this juggernaut now, mm-hmm. and they have the experience, and they've seen the money that can like be slapped down on the table, especially over the women's national team. They see the money. Mm-hmm. And so once you see that money, hopefully there's like this, this switch flips, right? And you're like, oh, that's what we've been walking away from like in the past. Okay, we were done. We want the money. You would hope at the very least they would always be like, we want the money over any other consideration. You would assume. the confusing thing about Canada soccer, right? Why weren't they like, we want the money? <laughs> I mean, I guess they wanted the guarantee of a smaller amount of money for, for what that's worth versus, I'm assuming a, a fairly lucrative uh, deal could be struck when it comes to the 2026 World Cup, the 2023 World Cup. What, what do you feel like with the 2023 World Cup looming? What do you think? Th- how do you think this situation evolves from here? I saw the photos of the the women's team training with their either no gear, like like uh, unbranded gear, or they had turned their stuff inside out. That definitely felt pretty mm-hmm. protest. Do you think we just continue to see things like that until it's settled behind closed doors and and a better deal is struck? I I wonder. Christine Sinclair did say after training, um, no, in the in the media calls they had that there is an April FIFA window, and if things aren't resolved by then, uh, they will not report for that camp. 
And I think they will take strike action around that. And because like it's far enough away, like labor law will probably be more favorable to them at that time to like take strike action without getting sued by the Federation. I think that's probably how it would play out. Like you would hope that it would get resolved by then, for example, getting them paid for 2022. That was one other item that Sinclair said that they really wanted to resolve quickly, as you can imagine. So, yeah, I, I guess we'll see. I I mean, Canada soccer is obviously the loser in the court of public opinion already, like immediately with devastating effect. Do they care? I don't know. They already made such a bad deal. Like, gosh, a 10 plus 10 year deal, locking them into the same amount of money every year. Jeez Louise. Much more still to come from my conversation with Steph. But first, a word from today's sponsors. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Thank you to everyone for sponsoring and supporting today's episode. Now back to Steph. There's a lot of of things in this story that don't make sense, some because my brain doesn't understand math, a lot because, as we talked about, there just doesn't seem to be a ton of transparency. Where where is the money? How are they accounting for some of these, the budgets and the slashing of the budgets at that? And and even that lack of payment. Like, I know I'm I'm biased here in, in, in backing the players. That's always kind of going to be my my instinct a little bit. But even the way Canada Soccer has explained some of the decision making, like the uh, we sent them a revised uh, offer and we haven't heard anything back. And so like balls in their court, we don't know why they haven't responded. And then you hear from the players who basically say like, yeah, you sent us a, an offer that we roundly rejected and proposed you a counter with lots of different sort of provisions. And you sent us back your counter, which was the same offer, but slightly reworded. <laughs> like it just it, it doesn't make a ton of sense to me what their angle is, unless maybe I see a lot of speculation that it relates to the Canadian. Canadian Premier League and that maybe there's some money going there or some of the the sort of budgeting is allotted for that. I don't know how much truth there is in that, but it does seem like there have to be other avenues where money is going, if not to the national teams. Yeah. And then it's so worrying in a World Cup here. Jeanine Becky pointed out that they found a way to like really pull out the stops for the men's team in Doha and Qatar, mm-hmm. where she saw the staffing and she, was, she said literally she was blown away, which is kind of sad. Right. Like this team won an Olympic gold medal already. So you would expect like, oh, they're, they should be used to like a, an elite level of treatment from their federation. Nope. Wrong. And so she was like, if Bev Priestman, our coach, requests the same level of staffing, we expect that we will get the same level of staffing as the men's team, which obviously they should. Right. It's a World Cup premier event. Um, but, you know, if you look at the federation's behavior over the past decade, yeah, you do get the feeling that they simply don't care about the women's team as much as the men's team, as much as they kind of don't 
care for any of their children, it seems. But like, especially the women's team gets this treatment. And so I worry about a repeat of 2011 when they washed out last place in Germany. Again, knock on wood that that doesn't happen again. I think that Priestman's a pretty good coach. She's got them functioning, you know, pretty well, given the talent that they have and, and the way that they're able to play. But gosh, again, it's just like how much... It had, if you've ever had to function while something else is on your brain, something serious, like if you've ever been fired, right? You have to go about your day always thinking about, like, how am I going to get a job? How am I going to pay the bills? You know how much energy it sucks out of you. And then once things resolve, like you're able to find housing or get a job, it's like you have all this energy back to do other things in your life to, like, focus on what you actually want to do. Yeah. And that's what the players are going through right now. And it's and it's like like the double edged sword, the poison chalice, the something. Because at the same time, while they have that going on, you have to sort of perform. You have to do. She believes cup is not you know the end all be all, but you don't want to be embarrassed there. That certainly doesn't help your argument. But at the same time, to your point, it's probably hard to focus on a competition and feel like you are fully prepared and not playing with like one hand tied behind your back or one foot tied behind your back because you're not being paid, you're not being compensated, you're not being valued by your federation. Do you sense that it has been a distraction for, for the team or do you think that they will almost like welcome the opportunity to just put it out of their minds and play a 90 minute game? I mean, both. Absolutely. It's been a distraction. It's they're human. The policeman talked about it to media yesterday after training in Orlando where she was asked a lot about like, how do you help players focus? And she's like, look, they're human. Um, and what you have to do is you kind of have to get them to focus on like play for the person next to you. And like, that's the attitude that's been going on in camp. Like it's as healthy as it can be at this point, you know, per Priestman that she's trying to get them to be like, just focus on the person next to you. And like, you're fighting for each other. And, but you know, at the same time, people are people, they have brains that get distracted. So yeah, I think it's kind of a little column A, a little column B, where I was talking to a friend who's not really into sports about the whole situation. She was like, if I were them, I just wouldn't go out. I would go out in the field and take a knee. And I was like, you really don't understand athlete brain. <laughs> <laughs> they, it doesn't, like, they're getting paid zero dollars, and they're still going to want to go out there and, and, like, kill, kill, kill the opposition, especially <laughs> the United States. So I think they're going to, you know, give their best. And at the same time, they're human beings who are distracted and tired. They they will, of course, want to beat uh, the U.S. Uh, I did see, I'm correct in saying the women, uh, the U.S. women have come out and supported Canada. Is that correct? Yes. There was a lot of very strong uh, support. Becky Sauerbrunn, Megan Rapinoe, and Alex Morgan all spoke to the media after training in Orlando uh, the day before the game. And they unequivocally said, yes, we want them our support. Obviously, a lot of them are teammates, Becky Sauerbrunn's teammates with Janine Becky and Christine Sinclair in Portland. So they've talked not so much specifics about like strategy or hiring a lawyer or this time to shape a deal, but just like, how can we support you? We'll amplify any message that you want to send out. And that's what they've done so far. What are your expectations then for this Canada team? Who do you think will be, aside from some of the names we've already talked about, who do you think will be their, their breakout performers or their key performers in this tournament? Oof. Uh, I mean, I have people who I hope will be breakout that's performers. What I, who I do would you really, hope will be? Yeah, I would. I would like to see Jordan Heidema like continue to kind of build on the momentum that she's got with the team. I would love to see Evelyn Vien. Um, you know, she had her stint in Nivisal, but now she's over in, in Sweden. I don't know if it's on loan or if it was a permanent transfer. Um, but one way or another, you know, 
I, I thought Vienne was uh, really great while she was here and she deserved more time in the field. So I'd like to see her, you know, get some time for Canada, maybe grab a goal or two. <laughs> I don't know if against the United States, but a goal or two. And then, you know, I would like to look at Vanessa Gilles as a center back. That one is kind of like more, she's already proven herself. She was so important to this team during the Olympics, but I think she's really cementing her place. It's kind of like, that Becky Sauerbrunn for Canada, where she's going to be like an anchor center back, like central defender that they're going to have to really rely on next to Kadisha Buchanan for a long, long time to come. That was Vanessa Gilles? Yep. I am not familiar with Vanessa Gilles. I'm not familiar with a few players on this team, including Amanda Allen and Annabelle Chukwu. Uh, they are 16 and 17, or 17 and 16, respectively. Uh, do you know much about them or their club, NDC Ontario? No, and I get the feeling that the Canadian media don't know a ton about them either, just from like eavesdropping over at the stadium where they were like, is that who? And they're like, oh, that's the new kid because they're, they are kids. They're, yeah. <laughs> when I hear like teens, I'm like, oh, you are a baby. <laughs> <laughs> like, I respect you as a player. You're clearly like performing adult responsibilities, but at the same time, you are a baby. Oh man. Well, uh, so we, we will see what happens, uh, with the, with Canada soccer, with, uh, their very poorly named, uh, soccer United marketing, uh, takeoff. Uh, what, what was it again? Canada business, soccer business, venture Canada soccer? Canada soccer business. There it is. Yeah. It, I, I, I still don't fully understand why, why you have to have the, the ridiculous, like, AI named, uh, organization to run <laughs> your media if you're soccer United marketing or Canada business, whatever it is. Uh, but, uh, I guess April will give us a good idea of how things have developed. Uh, and if they are on strike, then we will know they have not developed well. In the meantime, I did also want to talk to you about uh, the U.S. Uh, for a second. Uh, we don't always get to talk about the U.S. women's national team in sort of, happier terms. Uh, so I'm going to take the opportunity to do so because uh, I wanted to ask how you feel the equal pay agreement is working out for the U.S. national team. I saw the 23 players that will make the Women's World Cup squad autom- automatically get a bonus of around $250,000 per person as they're part of the sort of sh- sharing agreement. That seems like a pretty solid advancement in the way things have been. I think they're probably pretty pleased <laughs> with the way that turns out. Um, there was some mention of like wishing men had gone farther in the tournament, not because of the money, just because obviously they're team USA, but I think they're pretty pleased with the way things turned out. And now they're implementing, you know, they're getting to see the fruits of their labor, not just that one CBA negotiation, but like truly the fruits of decades of labor. So it must be gratifying. And, and, and really, I, I, you know, I knew like the numbers, there's the huge disparity, but to see the prize pool for the men's tournament being, I think, around 440 million, the prize pool for the 2023 World Cup expected to be about 60. So even if you win it, you're getting less than I think the men made it got to make the knockout round. So it does feel like that, that balance makes sense, especially if you're meant to be a sort of collective unit, the way I think the national teams are. I know some people, thought it was a bad deal or, or, or were opposed to the it in theory. Uh, Jonathan Tannewald, I think, pointed out uh, pretty wisely that if the situation had been in effect in 2018 when the men didn't qualify, that, st- that sharing agreement is still in place. So the men's team still would have gotten the bonuses from the women's team, even if the women's team got nothing from them. So it is, it is sort of a dice roll uh, both ways. But I, I like the idea that in the end it just gets everybody paid and we avoid uh, people not being paid for 17 games in a row. Yeah, and I think that's 
one of the things that they talked about when they were originally announcing it um, with t- the men and the women, where they were like, this is kind of like true labor solidarity. So, yeah, I, I appreciate that things are going. And it's also kind of the opposite of that CSB deal, right? Where they're like, we are betting on the future of yeah. this program and we're not going to lock ourselves into like that flat rate safe deal because we're like, you know what? The money's out there. The performance is out there. We're going to bet on us. Uh, well, speaking of, of betting on themselves, we, we should talk for a moment about the U.S. Uh, team who wouldn't won't bet on themselves. That would be frowned upon. I think you get into trouble with FIFA if you do that. <laughs> uh, that we still get uh, the Juilliards question, I think, once a week or every other week, sometimes multiple times a week. Is, is there any chance Juilliards will be back in time uh, for the World Cup? I think our answer has increasingly been does not seem likely, uh, but would like to get your, your thoughts on that one, Steph. I think it's a non-zero probability, but that's like me hedging. I, I do think it's a non-zero probability. I think it's probably more than 1%, but less than 50. And is that a, I, I, a, are you concerned about that then? Or do you feel like there has been enough time that they should have or could have identified uh, possible replacements, people who could do that role, if not just as well, then serviceably? I don't think we should be concerned about not having Julia. She's been out long enough that this team has had more than enough time to kind of figure out, like, what do we want our midfield to look like? You shouldn't be relying on one player. Isn't that the premise, right, of everything that we talk about with player development, where if one player gets kind of taken out, sure, you can have players who are kind of cornerstones of formations and you need time to adjust because they're just such good players. But no one player having to be out should just wreck a program, right? And to that extent, yes, there have been a lot of questions about this midfield. Blacko Ananofsky got questioned, you know, repeatedly about the midfield, not just this past press conference, but, you know, many, many, many others. Um, He's working on this Taylor Corning at the sixth experiment, which is not the worst experiment, right? She's played there as well for the San Diego Wave. Casey Stoney was asked about it. She was like, yeah, I put Taylor there, not as an isolated six. I believe in her as like a double six, maybe when she has freedom to move forward. Blacko literally was like, yeah, I agree. Uh, Taylor's best if she's playing as a six where she has freedom to move forward and work like as an eight as well. And so I, I'm like, okay, you know, they're kind of all on the same page here. Um, let's see how it works out. She believes you're right. It may not be like the be all end all, but this is probably a really great opportunity to simulate, for example, a World Cup group stage because you've got Brazil, Japan, and Canada. That's three pretty heavy hitters, like in a week. So, you know. uh, of those three, I'm assuming it's Canada that you feel like would be the biggest threat to the U.S. in the she believes, but then also potentially in the World Cup itself. Maybe if <laughs> this labor dispute were not happening, I might say yes. Um, based on the way that they've been playing recently, where I don't remember who said it. It might have been Bev Priestman were admitting, like, Canada's not going to play like Barcelona. You know, this is not a team where you uh, have beautiful possession for 500 passes and you walk the ball into the goal, right? Um, This is a team that is going to defend, like, you know, they were told, hold this position or else the aliens will blow up the earth. And then they take their chances and they score their goals. And she's got them playing pretty well that way, where they're tough to break down. Um, now, after this labor dispute, just curious to see how they bounce back from it. Like I said earlier, 
like athlete brain is incredibly strong. So who knows, maybe they'll come out and look like completely no different. Hard to say. If you were giving that same sort of description for the U.S. team uh, as like uh, Canada not being Barcelona, it's a team that's going to hold position, they're going to be tough to break down. How would you describe this iteration of the U.S. under Andonovsky? That's interesting. Vlaco was kind of asked the same question in the press conference, like how could you, you know, what's the identity of this team if you had to describe it to somebody. And I could tell he was a little bit taken aback. It's like, I mean, but yeah, putting it into words tactically. What, why do you uh, think he was taken aback? I think because if, I don't know, it might be the, <laughs> uh, the sum total. That's just my read on it because mm-hmm. he was as polite and, and differential as ever. But just like if you get questioned about this kind of the same thing every single press conference for like a year, it's hard yeah, not to yeah. take it personally, right? <laughs> but you know, the he he talked about um, you know having young players that are able to come in and fit into the identity, and so he didn't quite define it. So I I think tactically this is a team that they want to look like very confident in the buildup, able to transition quickly, uh, but that is able to like adapt really quickly on the fly. You can see it in the way that he likes to pick players who have like a little bit of positional flexibility here and there. Um, He wants to be able to like stomp on the gas pedal when necessary, but for the team to be able to like pick and choose those moments and like think for themselves, it's kind of the black going and off classic, right? Any team, he wants them to be able to like really read the situation and apply principles for themselves. So I think I would actually say like identity is maybe adaptable. Mm-hmm. That's what we're looking for. Hey folks, this is Taylor jumping in one more time. Much more still to come from Steph Young, but first another break for today's sponsors. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. All new Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. Today's episode is brought to you by our old friends, Mac Weldon. Wouldn't it be nice if we could have things both ways, like a zero-calorie cheeseburger, internet ads in March that weren't just reminders to do your taxes, a dog that never needs walking after midnight when it's cold, a Manchester United that is consistently good instead of their current scattershot approach? Well, we tend to think of clothing as an either-or situation as well. People think looking sharp means starchy Oxfords and stiff chinos rather than effortless comfort. But it's possible to have it both ways. Mack Weldon makes timeless apparel with modern performance fabrics for guys who want to look and feel sharp without sacrificing comfort. From their light-as-air underwear to innovative anti-odor tees and versatile yet comfortable pants, Mack Weldon has a full range of clothes that never go out of style. I got a few things recently, including a long-sleeve polo, which I love, uh, maybe the most comfortable t-shirt, which I also love, and my new favorite sweatpants, the Ace sweatpant. It's exactly what I described above, comfort and versatile, but still stylish. It's the type of sweatpant I can wear to pick up my kids from daycare and not think, I'm now wearing sweatpants in public. The other parents will judge me. Now I just think, judge away, nerds, because you will never be this comfortable unless you're also wearing a pair, in which case, high five. Mack Weldon is not flashy. It's just classic, always in style, and made from the world's most comfortable performance materials. They're designed to fit both your style 
and the demands of modern life. So get timeless looks with modern comfort from Mack Weldon. Go to MacWeldon.com and get 20% off your first order with promo code TSS. That's M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com, promo code TSS to get 20% off your first order. Thank you to Mack Weldon for sponsoring today's episode. And with that, let's get back to Steph talking about the U.S. WNT. Which players in the squad do you think of as being most adaptable or most capable of reading the game and deciding when to kind of step on the gas? Rose Lavelle. <laughs> no, that's a fast answer, but Rose <laughs> That's kind of what I assumed was coming, <laughs> but all the same, it's good to know. So it's still Rose Lavelle. That makes my heart happy. Right. Uh, unfortunately for your heart, Rose is out for this first game. She picked up a knock in training. Her left thigh, it looked like, was wrapped in ice. Flacco said they hope to have her ready for games two and three, but this is precautionary. They don't want to make anything worse. So good luck to all of us. <laughs> so if you were if you were sort of constructing your own starting 11, just the, the 11 that you would like to see for whatever reason, what does that look like? Um, I think I would love to see actually AD French get mm-hmm. a start. Uh, I know Alyssa Nair is like the acknowledged number one, but I really wish French had a been in more camps before this, but I guess they had their reasons. We're not privy to training. So I'm not going to second guess the goalkeeping staff when I have like 10% of the data and they have a hundred. Um, I'd like to see French get a lot more time with serious competition. And then, you know, you've got a center back pairing. Obviously it looks like Alana Cook is someone who's here to stay. Mia Guillermo is going to kind of like, I know there's a lot of pressure to put on a young kid, but I think she's Becky Sauerbrunn's heir apparent, right? She's the mantle of that reliable center back who's going to be here for the next 10 years. If we're looking at fullbacks, I mean, you're a little bit limited in options. I think it's clear that his first choices here are probably Fox and Huerta. Um, I really like Emily Fox. I kind of wish we had Haley Mason here as an option to play more of a, like a winger role. Who's also able to like work the defensive side of the ball. I'm, I'm betting that it's maybe a four, three, three, but he talked a little bit in a way that hinted at like kind of a four, two, three, one. Like we've seen the four, three, three a lot, Mm. but the way he talked about the midfield, a double six or like, you know, letting Taylor have the freedom to move forward into an eight role. I was like, are, are you hinting? And he did say, like, don't expect the combo of Korniak and Andy Sullivan um, together too much just yet. But it doesn't preclude, you know, having some kind of 4-2-3-1 situation going on. I would love to see that. Um, we'll see. Uh, there's a lot of forward options here. I've got my favorites, personally. I'd love to see Mitch Person, Trinity Robin both get more time. The problem is they kind of play in sort of similar-ish areas of the field. And then you've got Lynn Williams in there who could also play on the right side. And before when I talked about picking their moments to be able to press, if you want to press, Lynn Williams is a player you put on because you know reliably. She's like, all right, I press here. I'm going to do that. I'm going to do it 100 miles per hour. So forward, pretty nebulous at the moment. What about on the left side? Who would you go with there? Well, on the left side, I mean – We've got Mal Swanson, yeah. formerly Pew, in there. So I think that's your first choice. I think Megan Rapino is probably going to be in and out, maybe a start here or there, and then maybe like working her to get 30, 45, 60 minutes here and there. Um, yeah. Also, I'd be interested in seeing if he's like, hey, Mid, show me a little more flexibility. I know you're best in this right side area. 
but show me that you can like move over to that left side in a pinch or even Trinity Rodman, um, maybe more likely for Mitch Purse to get that ask. So yeah, I think that's our, our left side there. And then if it were to be a four, two, three, one, who would you feel most comfortable the number 10 being from this squad and then uh, for the world cup? Because my assumption is Katarina Macario will be involved in this conversation at some point. Right. If Kat Makari is healthy, she's your 10 in that 4-2-3-1, and it like, keeps her you know, relatively close to the goal. Ananofsky said you know, a couple times now, if she's healthy, she has to be in the squad. She's that good a player. Um, if she's not, well, I actually don't want to talk about that scenario because I'm <laughs> feeling like I'm going to jinx it. <laughs> would, it be, would you feel comfortable with Lavelle there, even with the, the injury? Obviously not playing tonight, but... Uh, if she, if she, if Katarina Macario can't go or maybe needs a, a, a game off, could it be Lavelle in that 10 spot? Yeah, I think I could see Lavelle there. She's so creative. She's so good at moving between the spaces, like as a midfielder and then moving up into a forward. So, you know, I think she's pretty good at picking out the lanes. She can possess, she can distribute fairly well. Yeah, I, I think I could see her there. And then my final question or round of questioning for you you talked about uh 80 french for a moment and like only kind of having access to 10 percent of the information and i respect that you are therefore not you know screaming about how it should be 80 french i think a lot of times there is that disconnect when it comes to the way people perceive the national team between people who cover the team people who are in those press conferences people who are talking to players and the coaches people who are not and i think when you're not you see it on the outside uh Speaking for myself, a lot of our conversations on Total Soccer Show have been about, is Vlatko getting enough out of this team? Why isn't it working? What are the issues? Why isn't it clicking? Are we going to have problems? And I do feel like we have sort of fostered a sense of negativity, or we definitely are feeling slightly nervous uh, about the U.S. heading into uh, the World Cup. And obviously, heading into a World Cup is always going to be a bit nerve-wracking. But I guess with all that sort of preamble, I'd like to know your feelings about the team right now. Because I have a feeling that maybe from the outside, only focusing on like, ooh, they're not getting the best out of this, they're not getting the best out of this, might miss some of the progress that's been made. Uh, Or are you feeling slightly... uh, nervous about the way this team is going heading into the World Cup? A little column A, a little column B. All right. <laughs> I think people, I think it's fair to feel a little negative or nervous about the team. You look at recent results, you look at kind of they struggled a little bit during World Cup qualifying, especially against teams with all due respect that, you know, have not had the same historical support and were not as well prepared as the United States for that kind of tournament and environment and to face a team like the United States. And so, and then you see the U S kind of like struggling to put things together and just look like they lack a little bit of bite, you know? Um, so I think it's fair to have negative feelings as my therapist would say, you can't control other people's feelings. Like you feel how you feel. Um, but you know, from the flip side of that, I think you look at some of the players that he's brought in, like Naomi Girma, like, whew, you know, what a get. And she's looked comfortable from day one on this team that's fit in really, really well. Um, He's bringing along, you know, other players like Ashley Sanchez, who I think with some more development and like, if she can really work on some of her decision-making skills would be such a like fluid and creative addition to the midfield, not quite in the same role as a Rose Lavelle, but someone you can call in who will like bamboozle defenses with the way that she thinks and moves and distributes. 
You look at the forwards, like he's trying to bring along Trinity Rodman. We've got Mitch Purse in the mix. Um, you know, when um, we've got uh, when Sophia Smith is healthy again, I think that is a winger combination that you cannot beat between Mal Swanson and Sophia Smith. And like these are things that have like kind of happened in the Ananofsky era. So I think there are positives to look at where like some of these, some coaches would be delighted to have any one of these elements and he's got all of them. But right, that feeds right back to the negative. He's like, well, he's got this embarrassment of riches. Why isn't he building the fanciest house on the block? So Oof. rubber meets the road in, in July. We'll see. There we go. Well, before July, it seems like you've got a, a pretty hectic schedule ahead of you. you. You're in Orlando now, correct? But then you're, you're bouncing around the country from there? Yep, we're hopping to Nashville, and then we'll go down to Dallas, um, technically Frisco, where I believe uh, somewhere around 10 years ago, maybe longer, I watched the national team play. It dropped to like 30 degrees the day I was there, and then it jumped back up to 65 the day I left. So I'm expecting it to happen again, just because that's the way fate works. The one time I, I was in Dallas in the last 20 years, it snowed. So uh, I, I, I'm with you on the bizarreness of the Dallas weather. I hope you don't get that uh, this time around. Have you been to New Zealand or Australia before? I'm assuming you will be going for the World Cup. I'm wondering what your, uh, your, your plans are for that. We will be, we at The Athletic, mm-hmm. so me and my colleague Meg Lenahan, will be following the U.S. So that means New Zealand probably for the group stage and then you know, knock on wood, we'll hop over to probably Australia for knockouts. So yeah, we'll get the best of both worlds, get to enjoy Aotearoa and Australia. There we go. Well, Steph, thank you so much for taking the time this morning. I know you're quite busy, uh, but I very much appreciate you talking all things U.S. and all things Canada as well. Thanks for having me on. Thanks so much. Have a great day. We'll talk to you again soon. Listeners, thanks so much for listening. We'll talk to you all again next week.